Hi everyone, welcome to Getting Real with Real Estate. Your host, Karen Bethar. Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. on SinaiRadio.com. We're now on uh, Google Play and on Apple, on the Apple Store. So feel free to download the app, listen to music, listen to other podcasts during the week. So I wanted to just thank you all for listening. I've been getting uh, amazing feedback so far. Send in those topics. And uh, we'll uh, be glad to cover them. So we're here. We're talking about anything related to real estate. I work in Brooklyn. I'm the broker of the Bethar team. So a lot of my tips is Brooklyn-based. Some of it is universal. And some of it's really specifically just for Brooklyn. The market is very different here. than uh, And the way it works is a little different than other places that I know. So I wanted to just... Um, discuss the concept of buyers and a buyer's agent, things like that. So when someone wants to rent an apartment in Brooklyn, then the way it works is you there you know different agents that could help you. But the one that's looking to rent the, the potential tenant is the one that pays the broker fee. And typically it's one month. Some places do a certain percentage of the annual rental income. But typically when someone wants to rent an apartment, um, the actual fee, the one month fee falls on the potential tenant to pay the broker. That's how it works. Not really negotiable. I know uh, it's in our blood to be negotiable, <laughs> to be like, uh, to get a deal. But generally the broker fee is not negotiable. Rare circumstances allows for that. Um, when it comes to looking for a home, generally the seller pays the broker so a buyer that's looking they don't have to pay or a fee it's typically the seller sometimes i have some investors of mine tell me if you find me a great off-market deal i'll pay you a certain percentage that's like a rare case but generally first-time home buyers or if you're looking for regular residential property one family two family multi-family um you know up to four six family generally the landlord the the owner, I'm sorry, the owner pays that, the broker. There are exceptions. There are, you know, like old timer brokers that have been around many, many years ago that still work. And uh, they tell the seller straight out, I'm collecting commission from my buyer. Doesn't really work because like no one does that. So generally, it's paid by the seller. So that being said, why do some buyers choose to work with certain brokers over others? Meaning if they're not paying the fee, why do some prefer to work with one specific agent? Why do some work with like 15 agents? Why do some work with just the listing agent? Listing agent means the one that actually has the listing. Like they're the broker that has a property to sell. Other brokers could come in and share. That's called co-broking. They can share and bring in a buyer but the listing agent is the one that the seller hired to sell their home. So there are different reasons why buyers would choose which agent to work with. And I want to talk about that a little bit, you know, coming into the mind of a buyer. You know, you're coming onto the market, you're renting for a few years, or you own your home and you want an upgrade, but you have to sell and buy at the same time, or you rent and you're like clueless on where to start, how do you know what you could afford, you know, things like that. 
a lot of questions and we covered a lot of it on this line so feel free if anyone has any specific questions that I'm not covering today you can reach out to me on social media the Befar team or Karen Befar I'll be more than glad to help you so I've seen different reasons why buyers would choose one agent over another and sometimes I feel like if I just explain the bigger picture then buyers would just get it so sometimes it's simply they're scrolling through Zillow or social media or wherever signs in the shul or anywhere and magazines newspapers you know anywhere that there are homes listed and they see someone advertise they call up that that agent so that's the listing agent generally who advertises and it's great sometimes the listing agent doesn't sell in the area or they don't sell as much as you know they're not one of the top agents or great negotiators so by you putting yourself in their hands some buyers think oh I'm gonna go straight to the listing agent because if I want a good deal I'm only gonna get it from the listing agent and you know there are a few points about that because the listing agent obviously works for the seller right and they have that listing not necessarily are they the great best negotiators are they gonna tell you the back you know the history of the house so sometimes if like people call me call me or anyone of my agents up or my office and a buyer wants to know like could you get me into these five houses so instead of just saying I'll show you these houses and that's it by explaining like you know in in Midwood a 30 by 100 generally goes for this price a 20 by 100 goes for this price whoever's listening and not from Brooklyn it probably sounds Chinese to you because you go by square footage here we generally go by the lot sizes and then the build of the house so if it's a 40 by 100 it could be 23 by 65 so it's just different and so the scenario is a buyer sees a house on Zillow calls up a listing agent and wants to see the house they see it's overpriced they're not sure what to offer but if you take a step back and you have one agent that you specifically work with and they know your needs they know what you saw in the past they know your history they know your financials and a lot of times instead of wasting the buyer's time I, I tell the buyer sometimes this house is very similar to the one we saw three months ago it's not really worth it so at the end of the day by using one agent they already know your style they know what you're looking for and they're like loyal to you if you'll be loyal back to them sometimes people call me up and tell me or in my office you know if you have I'm looking this is what I'm looking for be, call me first as soon as you get it and I'm thinking to myself obviously I'm not going to call you first and sometimes I say it straight out to them depends on the scenario of the conversation you know I'm not going to call you straight out the first one because I never worked with you I never showed you other homes I don't know what's important to you and you yourself won't know what's a good deal until you have seen a few homes with me and you give me feedback how would I know what's a good deal for you a good deal for you is different than a good deal for other people so by sticking with one agent I find that in Brooklyn it's not so common and I have seen outside in Lakewood five towns Muncie you know buyers generally stick with an agent unless they have a reason not to work with that agent then that's fine but they generally stick to one agent so they could show them homes and they could you know be on top of it and be loyal back and I find that 
it ends up working both ways. Sometimes, you know, I send homes to to buyers and all of a sudden I found out they go straight to the listing agent and they bought the house. And that's fine. At the end of the day, in this business, you see, you know, God's hand and Hashem's hand and everything. And it is what it is. I can't change every buyer. But the mentality that it's so strong in Brooklyn that if I go straight to the listing agent, I get the best deal. But there's no negotiations on that end. It's just one person who's working for the seller. It could be they happen to be, when I'm a listing agent, happen to be we negotiate pretty well. Um, so it depends on the whole scenario. But in general, having someone telling you, oh, this house has a violation. This house was on the market with three other brokers before this one. Even though it comes up as brand new, it's only brand new to this broker. It's on the market three times for over a year. The seller, and I can give people inside information that they don't know. So that's very crucial you're not always what you see is what what is reality. So I find you know that important. Um, just on the topic of buyers, there are different types of buyers, and there's an end user. That means a buyer that's going to actually live in there. You're buying. You're going to look for a home. You're going to be the one living in there, or your family. And then there's an investor, a buyer that's an investor. So meaning he's buying it, he's either renting it out or he's going to resell it. Generally in Brooklyn, the homes that I work with are pretty high up there in price no room for fix and flips as they call it in the area that I work in so if it's an investor buying a home typically there are different things that an investor looks for versus an end user so a lot of times you know people tell me I can't believe you know the neighbor paid you know the neighbor paid full asking for a property so the neighbor paid you know 950 for the property on the block mine is worth more but I always point out that an end user who has a certain reason for that property would always pay more. So we can use that home as an example of what the other homes are worth. I know a property that someone lived next door and they have a, you know, a specific reason for their kids to live on that block. And they overpaid by like 200 something. Recently I heard that. And... Everyone was like, wow, he's crazy. And I'm like, no, you, it's normal to overpay for something that you need and want. A house three blocks away is not the same as when you have four kids on the same block. And if that's what the parents want to buy, then great. So, so at the end of the day, there are many reasons why homes go for different prices. And an end user generally will pay more. Sometimes you see an investor who has a 1031 exchange which I'll, I'll just explain briefly, is if someone owns an investment property and wants to sell it, in order to avoid some capital gains, they use that, they do like a like-kind exchange. So they use, if it's a million dollars and they have, you know, 500,000 capital gains to pay, they could defer it. 1031 is a deferred, you defer your taxes and you put that money into another property. So you're not paying capital gains on the 500. You're taking that 500, and you're buying another investment property with it. So sometimes, if someone has a 1031 exchange, yeah, they'll overpay a little for a property. Whereas an end user, they have a budget and they can't go that extra 40,000 to make a deal. But someone that has a 1031, if they don't pay that 40,000, then they're paying like 215 capital gains in taxes. So it just makes sense. So there's always a bigger picture when people come to me, you know, sellers say, listen, if you could get me 1.8 for my house, I'll sell. 
So I'm like, I need to see it. They're like, well, the neighbor's sold for one seven. And then when I come down, I'm thinking to myself, why do they think it's worth over one five even? It doesn't even make sense. But then I look and I'm like, well, that person, that house is an R7. It's, you know, gray zoning. Or the person who bought it was a shul. Whatever reasons it is, but you always have to look deeper. Um, so basically, on another topic of buyers is there are different types of buyers, different terms. A lot of times when I get offers in from buyers, I just get an offer form. And then I'm like, where's your terms? And they're like, what do you mean? So I'll just explain it for those of you who want a little bit of an explanation. Terms is, you know, how much down payment you're putting. Typically, typical down payment is total of 20%. By signing contract, it's 10% typically. If you're selling a property and or if you're getting the money in for some reason later on in in the mortgage, in the process, you know, during the contract period, then sometimes sellers let you put down 5%. That's okay. It has to be worked out, but that I have seen that many times. 50000 that's usually generally okay. Um, so there's that's in terms of the down payment. In terms of, you know, mortgage and mortgage contingencies, like I just met a seller this morning and he told me at the end of the conversation, after he told me what he wanted for his house, he's like, I know contingencies. So I'm thinking to myself, that's a big thing. It's, you can't just throw it in there at the end of our conversation. No mortgage contingencies is a very big thing. So what is that? Um, there are three, you know, three types of buyers. I would say there's mortgage buyer, a cash buyer, and a mortgage contingent, not mortgage contingent buyer. So let's discuss mortgage buyer. Mortgage buyer is a buyer that's putting a down payment down, taking finance. They're taking um, financing, taking out a mortgage for you know percentage. Let's say eighty percent, whatever it is. If they don't get a mortgage, they get back their down payment. Then that's it. You know, obviously, you have to prove that you didn't get you got denied. It's a little bit more of a process, but basically, as you go for a mortgage, you don't get the mortgage, the house could go back on the market if they get denied. Happens. Then there's such a thing as a cash, a cash deal, which is simple. It's a million dollar property. The buyer runs title. He has a million dollars in the bank. He transfers it over by closing. There's no bank involved, meaning his money is in his bank. But um, when we say cash offer, it doesn't mean like greens. A lot of sellers think that. Um, don't blame them for thinking that. Um, so basically, then that's a cash offer. So what's a no mortgage contingent offer? I always say it's the confidence of cash, but the convenience of a mortgage. So basically, a no mortgage contingent is exactly what it sounds. You're not contingent on a mortgage, but the seller is giving you a chance to take out a mortgage. So basically... It's a, if the buyer doesn't get a mortgage, then he has to close cash. So obviously, not everyone will do such a deal. You have to have sh- very, very strong financials to do it. Or you have to know you have a, you know, the money sitting around to close. So obviously, sellers love cash offers. Sometimes people who give cash offers think that's a tool for negotiations, and they're right. If you're a cash buyer then you should be able to use that as a negotiation. If everyone else is offering in the nines, let's say for a million, just for argument's sake, if it's a million dollar, the property, then if someone's, if they're, all the offers are in the nines, and a seller would take, like, let's say 950. So sometimes a cash offer could be, you know, 15, 20,000 less, and the seller would choose to take it because it's a quick close. There are no 
It depends if the seller's buying another property, he has that money. A lot of reasons why sellers would like a cash offer, obviously. But sometimes the offer is like 100000 less, and he doesn't want 100000 less. So he'd rather take a no-mortgage contingent buyer, which is the confidence of cash, because no matter what, he's closing. But at the same time, he's letting the buyer go for a mortgage. So it's like a 60-day closing, as opposed to a you know 10-day closing. But it's the same confidence. So that, that I find um, is something that buyers always ask me about. Okay, going on to another topic. So in terms of priorities, I touched upon this subject once. And in terms of what's important to you, making a list and just being open-minded and going to see, there's always something that's going to give. There's like price, there's location, and there's amenities in a property. So if, if price is important to you and you know that you're not going to get the best, best location on the best block, but you know that you have 800000 to spend. And yes, there aren't as many 800,000 homes and you don't want to move to Marine Park, for example. So you are limited in your choices. So if the price is important to you, so as long as you know, like, what are the orders of your priorities? If price is important, so you might have to take a fully attached house. But at the same time, if amenities is important to you, if like, you must have a detached, you must have a private driveway. So maybe you would go up to a million. There's always like a you know, play on what's important. If you're saying, I, my max is 800, I have to have something, you know, between McDonald and Ocean Parkway, I'm just giving you an example, and I must have detached private driveway, there obviously is extremely low inventory, almost non-existent. So sometimes buyers call me up and I have to put them in reality, obviously in a nice way, but at the same time, you always have to know, and I try to get a feeling from buyers is, like, what is really important to them? Sometimes they tell me, my price range is a million, but, you know, my family will kick in a little bit. And then one time they, like, kicked in 500. I'm like, that's a nice kick in, you know, from, like, a million budget to go to one five. And that type of person, their, their priority was location and amenities. So they didn't necessarily care about the specific price. They had a budget, but when it comes down to it, they'll make it work. So knowing yourself, like, where you stand in this, like, priority thing, priority list, I find helps you tell your agent that as well. And um, another topic that I wanted to discuss about buyers today is buyers remorse, anxiety. I never, I didn't coin the term yet for it, but I guess buyers remorse, you would say. Sometimes, you know, buyers are looking, and not those that are looking for like two weeks and going to contract rushed. Then yeah, maybe they should have buyers remorse because you don't rush two weeks into buying a home. I'm very into like, take your time. It doesn't matter if another you know, another buyer is giving in offers and they're rushing. You give an offer when you're ready to give an offer. Don't look at what other people, other buyers are giving. Just look at what you're ready to give and that's it. So I, I find that buyers are looking, you know, for example, I'll give you a scenario. Buyers looking for eight months. They saw different homes. They put bids on homes. They finally found a house on a block of a family member that they really, really want. They're negotiating, the price worked out, they bought a home inspector, they're like, can't wait to see, you know, that their home, their offer was accepted, it's just exciting for them, and they sign contract, they keep calling, did a seller sign contract, because first the buyer signs, then the seller, finally they're fully in contract, it's fully executed, both parties signed, they're ready to give in all their paperwork for their mortgage, they rush, they keep everything in, and like that period between 
given the mortgage application until commitment could be three, four or five weeks. And I find like a lot of times buyers call me up and they're, they're just nervous because now it became real up until then was a reality, like someone that's having a baby. So for, you know, nine months, they're shopping and everything and thinking of the names and clothes and setting up a nursery. And then it just comes. You're waiting for it. You wanted it. But then it comes and it's like a little a little chaos, you know, disturbs in, in a good way, just, you know, disrupts life for a little bit in a positive way. But I find that too with buyers. And at that stage, they call me up like, you know, I'm thinking about it. I didn't realize my payments will be so much. And I realize there's a mansion tax. And generally, like, I, we go through the numbers and we go through everything. So just know if you're listening, if it happened to you and you're nodding your head, great. And if you're, if you just got an accepted offer and you're like flipping out listening to me, don't worry, it happens to a lot of people. And then like just a feeling of calmness settles when you have the commitment and you're, you know, you're doing the work and you moved in. Because sometimes it could be stressful when the buyer doesn't close the same time that they were supposed to close and the seller was supposed to move out on the 1st, but they're really not ready till the 10th. A lot of stressful moments can happen. A lot of stressful moments can definitely happen between buyer and sellers and attorneys. And sometimes I, I try to paint a picture of, you know, that not no one's fighting against each other. Everyone just has different needs and we just have to work together. It's a lot of tension sometimes. So, you know, that's basically it. I wanted to just uh, wrap up. Today we spoke about all about buyers, basically. You know, we discussed using a buyer, why, why buyers would use specific agents over others, that benefit. And just a little story, uh, you know, sometimes you buy a house directly through an owner and there's no agent. And I get it from the owner's standpoint. I don't agree. I get it. Just to point that out. <laughs> um, I, I get it that the sellers think, why should I pay, you know, 4%, 5%, 6%, 2%. Whatever commission people take around here, um, why should I pay a commission and pay extra? It, it's that much more thousands of dollars in my pocket. So yes, to the uneducated eyes, it seems like it because if I don't use a broker, I'm saving thousands of dollars. But I really believe wholeheartedly that there's so many issues that could come up that cost sellers money that. By using a broker, they actually save money. I, they net much more in their pocket. They net more than even if they pay a broker. I see it from like the simplest, simplest examples. When a buyer comes in and they're de- dealing directly with the owner. I know because sometimes buyers call me up and they're dealing with an owner and I advise them on the back end. I don't work for the seller. So I tell them exactly how to get a good deal and I tell them what to do. And I'm thinking to myself, the seller just lost like $150,000 because they didn't want to pay like 40, 50, 30,000, whatever broker commission is on that deal. They literally lost so much money. And sometimes these sellers, I, they're moving to Lakewood. They're helping supporting their kids. And I'm thinking to myself, like they, they never asked my opinion. So I'm not going to, if someone asks, I'll give them my opinion big time. But if they didn't ask me, like I see, you know, we just did a deal the, on the buyer side and I'm like, if they would only put it on the market, they could get 150000 more, like at least. So let's say after a broker, it's a hundred. That's $100,000 that they netted less because they don't want to use a broker. And it happens many times. Buyers come in, they want to do a 
home inspection, they find a lot of issues. Let's put, let's, let's be honest. The homes here are like a hundred years old, literally 1920s, some of them, and we're almost in, you know, 2020. So they're literally, literally a hundred years old. So they do an inspection, there are issues and sellers, honestly, some of them look legit and they're like, okay, the buyer wants a $20,000 credit or they're going to walk away. The seller doesn't want to lose them. They're scared. They don't know that you don't have to give that much for certain issues. And then they end up losing so much more money in that sense, a lot of different areas. So I always say, yeah, so basically we discussed that today. We discussed an end user versus an investor. We discussed different types of buyers, you know, a mortgage, not mortgage contingent and cash offers. We discussed a little bit about priorities, is it price, location, or features, amenities, and know yours so you could relay that confidently to your broker. That's important. We discussed buyer's remorse, and basically, just to wrap it up, like I always say, let's just try to be a little more sensitive. Let's just try to be a little more a mensch, if I could say, when dealing, because sometimes they're like, oh, look what the seller did. The seller's attorney said this, and I'm like, do you know that the seller didn't even know that the attorney said that? And then they're like, oh, like people just paint pictures. It's more of the pictures that we paint ourselves and the running records that we tell ourselves but other people that it ends up being our reality. So it's more, I'm in the middle of negotiating a deal right now and the sellers are like so upset at the buyers. Like they keep coming back and changing their mind. And in reality, like I tried explaining it to my sellers, but it's so, it's so emotional that they really can't see it. Maybe in six months they'll see it or in four months or while we're in contract, I don't know. But it's so hard for them to see the other viewpoint that yeah, I understand you. It looks like that. But in reality, you're the one being unreasonable too. I can't say that. I, if I need to say it, I'll say it in a nicer way. But at the same time, I just want to wrap up saying like, just be a little sensitive. Sensitive when, you, when you're looking at a home and a seller lives there and you're like, I'm going to knock this wall out and gut this out. Like maybe they also wanted to do it and they just couldn't afford it all these years. That makes them feel bad. And it really makes a difference. Like we just got an accepted offer on a property and... There were a few offers that were pretty close to each other. At the end of the day, the seller told me, I want the one that was schmoozing with me at the end, that one. And I'm like, you know, it makes such a difference to sellers because it's an emotional sell, especially if they're living there 40, 50 years, or even an ego sell if they're living there seven years. And it's just like they want someone that will respect them. And I see that very, very much in a real estate transaction. So... Thank you for listening to my podcast, Getting Real with Real Estate with Karen Beffar. Every Wednesday is at 9 p.m. You can listen on SinaiRadio.com, on the apps. And if you want to reach out to us at the Beffar team on social media or sell our office number, 347-988-2526.